Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Ta here. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I have certifications additionally in Reiki and EMDR. I have physical offices in Los Angeles, California, and New Orleans, Louisiana. However, I provide sessions worldwide with clients wherever you might be living via Skype, FaceTime, and phone. You can find me to schedule sessions or reach out through email about being a guest on this show at nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. And you can subscribe to this show as well as listen to archived episodes on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. So I'm going to move into introducing my guest. And as I was thinking about this show and writing some notes, I I just thought how it's, it's interesting where life might take us. I imagine that's probably been your experience too as a listener from time to time. And seven years ago, I never would have thought that I would have an idea that was patent that I would get a patent on. Sorry, I'm butchering that word. And and a friend, an attorney, introduced me to my guest today. His name is Benji Bolzer. He's a partner at Next IP Law Group, LLC. And he specializes in patent drafting and prosecution and intellectual property. And he offers consultations and reviews. So we're going to talk to him about everything related to intellectual property, patents, trademarks, etc. And I feel really grateful to have met him because I do have a U.S. patent on an invention that I invented to assist people who are in wheelchairs to blow and cast glass as an art form through a modified workbench that I invented that has never existed. And it's just so exciting to, to make something, to come up with an idea and sketch it out on napkins. And over the years, it becomes, you know, something so substantial and helpful. So welcome, Benji Balzer, on the show today. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for being my guest today. Sure. So I don't know where you'd like to start. A couple of directions we can take would be either how did you get into patent law? Or the patent system in general? Where, where do you prefer starting? 
Uh, we can just share it through the patent system to start with. Okay, tell us about what the patent system is, because I didn't know much about it until I started my okay. own process. So first off, um, many people think that the patent, when they're granted, gives you the right to build something and to make something and sell it. Uh, in reality, it actually allows you to prevent other people from... Um, sorry, from... Uh, That's okay, yeah. ...producing and selling it. Um, so... You may actually do your patent may actually, um, if you practice it, may infringe on somebody else's patent. Uh, mm. But you can stop somebody from making your improvement on their patented invention. Okay. If that makes sense. It does um, make sense. And the way you, okay, so the way you can describe it in, in element form, if you get a patent, generally a claim will say um, you have a system comprising elements A, B, and C. Okay. And so to infringe that patent, you have to practice each one of those in your, in your device, so A, B, and C. So someone else can actually get a patent on an invention that has a system comprising elements A, B, C, and D. So the okay. D is actually an improvement on the original um, invention. Okay. So the person that has A, B, and C can still stop you from doing it but you can stop him from making the same improvement that you made. Interesting. So that's why you have on your website talking about doing patents and uh, prosecution when these right. issues arise. So, right. There's two different, part, two different sides to getting a patent. Um, you, there's the drafting of the, the patent application and filing it, and that's generally called pre uh, preparation. And then the prosecution side is working with the patent office to get the claims allowed. So there are three basic parts to a patent application. There are the drawings, which are pretty self-explanatory. There's a detailed description, which uses the drawings to explain how to um, reproduce the invention. And you have to describe it in such a way that one of ordinary skill in the art can reproduce the invention without undue experimentation. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third part of the application is the claims. And in the claims, that's the technical description of what you're protecting. So, like I said earlier, there's a system with elements A, B, and C and how those elements interact with each other. So, the claims um, would be what this, what this device, to use that word, does? The claim it's making to, to do? Yes. And you try and describe it in as broadly uh, a manner as possible, but still describing what you're doing so that you can get as much protection as possible. Okay, got it. In my case, I know I had worked on for years the description and the claims, but it were the drawings, the AutoCAD and, and stuff, you know, that's out of my wheelhouse that I tried to farm out and then that you helped me with. And then even the language in the claims and such had to be in a, it was like a foreign language to me, this whole right. patent process. It is a specific language, correct, that you're using with the patent office to make this a yeah. reality. And Yes, and that language has evolved through the court system um, in interpreting certain words. Uh, for example, there's two words that are used normally in, in, a, in a preamble of a claim. The one that's used most often is comprising, which is an open-ended um, word. So that means that you can have elements A, B, and C, and then anything else. Um, if it's consisting, if you would say a system consisting of elements A, B, and C, that's a closed-ended um, word. And so 
there's nothing else that would be included in the invention that would um, affect the, the basic operation of it. Okay. And so before we came live, you had, I had asked you, are you able to help uh, people with securing a patent anywhere in the country? And you said yes, because it's a federal system. Can you talk to us about that? Correct. So the, um, the patent system is it's federally based. So I just have to have uh, a license in any state in the, in the United States. Um, personally, I might have in Georgia. That's where I started my practice. Right. Um, and so, but I can help anyone in any state as long as it's um, I'm filing with the patent office in uh, in Washington, D.C. That's excellent. Um, I can also help. Right. So not only just people in the U.S., I have clients in foreign countries as well that I file uh, applications in the U.S. And then oh, that's I can very also cool. take, okay, And then I can take the U.S. applications and work with foreign uh, counsel to file them in the foreign countries as well. Okay. So can you kind of walk us through what, what is the patent pro- – if a client calls you after this show and, and says they have an idea, they want to talk to you about, what does that process look like in working with you? What are the costs associated with it so our listeners can know in case they want to okay. give you a call? So what we would do is schedule a disclosure meeting. And in the disclosure meeting, we'll go over three basic um, parts of the, of the description of what, what I would need to file. The first is a description of, of um, the current state of the art. So typically there's a problem that the invention um, uh, tries to solve. Okay. But right now that, that, that problem is, I mean, it's usually addressed in some manner, but there's some deficiency to it. And so you talk about what, what is going on in the state of the art right now and how they're trying to address a particular problem. So it might do this, but there's a problem with the way that it's done. My invention works differently. So the second part of it is how it works. And okay. then the third would be how it addresses the problem, fixes the problems that the current state of the art has. Um, then I take that information and then I draft the patent application. Um, and I, so I start with the drawing. I work with the inventor on, on how to, um, to, to draw up the, um, act, the facet of the particular invention. Um, and then there's a detailed description. So I use the drawings and describe every little bit of the invention and how it works. And then draft the claims, which, uh, like we said, are the, the technical description of how it, everything works and how it works together. Okay, great. So you do that for your clients. And like I tried to do as much of that on my own, which is why it took so many years until I, right. until I found now, you. Right. Now, you have, two, you have two different types of applications that you are working on. One is a design patent, and the other one was a utility patent. Yes. So the one that we have now is, that we got um, issued is the design patent. Yes. And a design patent covers the ornamental um, aspects of the invention, so what it looks like. It's yes. The, the structure of how it's built, but it doesn't cover any of the functionality of the, of the design. So right. the, utility is, the utility application covers the functional uh, um, aspects. And that one is still in uh, prosecution. We actually have an office action right now that we have to respond to uh, within the next couple of months. Okay, great. So when a client comes in, do you help them decide which type of patent they want to do or both, for instance? Yes. Yes. And and sometimes there's also a copyright um, aspect to it. If if you can look at it as a a work of art, um, you can also also file a a copyright for it. And that's another thing we can cover a little later is 
the different aspects of intellectual property law. Some people don't know when um, a patent or a copyright or a trademark is the appropriate way to protect their intellectual property. Okay, cool. So you can help someone determine those between those three things. Absolutely. So what are costs associated with this process? Okay, so with a normal non-provisional utility patent, the my preparation fees are normally somewhere between five to seven thousand dollars, and okay. that's um, just the number of hours it usually takes twenty to twenty-five hours to um, to address all the issues in drafting the patent application, um, and then there's filing fees, which most most clients are going to be small entities. Um, there's three yeah. levels of, of uh, fees. One is large entity, which is a large company with over 500 employees. One is a small entity, which is less than 500 employees. And then there's also now a micro entity um, uh, level, uh, which is half of the, of the small entity. And so you um, cannot have filed more than two applications previously and had um, income in the previous year of over 150000 or somewhere in that, in that range. To be uh, a micro entity. You, uh, Right, you qualify, and that's half of the fees of the small entity. Right, the fee goes down uh, as the entity size goes down. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and so then that those fees, a small entity fee is somewhere around $700, $730, something, something in that range. Um, there may be some drawing fees involved, too, which vary depending on the um, type of drawing, how, how intricate the drawings are, if they're just boxes and system diagrams, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, if it's a complex uh, mechanical product that has gears and all kinds of other stuff, other stuff in it, the, the drawings may be a little more expensive, but they range somewhere between 50 to $100 a page. Okay. And is that the beginning phase then and working? Yes, and that's the, right, and that's the file the application. And it normally has taken two to three years for the patent office to get around to examining the application. Um, they've in the recently been uh, pushing to to reduce that time, and I've had some that have come back in about a year lately. So that's actually a pretty um, that's pretty nice to get it back in a year. But you should typically see somewhere between two to three years before uh, you get a, a, an examination back from the patent office. Wow! Yeah, um, I, and I'd say probably in the upper in the mid to upper nineties ninety percentile, you'll get uh, rejections of all your claims. Um, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. They can find something that's close, and so they want something on record to say, you know, this is what we've looked at, and we've rejected the, the patent for these reasons. So, And then they give point, you time, you, right? Is that when they give you time right. to make corrections? Yes. Right. You get six months to respond to the office action. And um, the first three months is at no fee, and then after that you get there's monthly extensions for the first month, second month, and third month. Um, but normally you can respond to it with, within the three months, no problem. Um, the, when you look at the, the office action and the rejection, you have to determine whether you agree with the examiner or not. If you don't agree with the examiner, you can just file arguments to, um, to try and overcome his rejection. Uh, on the other side, you may agree with the examiner um, but you may be able to uh, amend the claims to get around the rejections and to get around the, the art that he cited in the uh, in the rejections. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I was intimately familiar with this process to our listeners, having started on my own by going to the USPTO.gov, that is the United States sure. Patent and Trademark Office website, and filing, you know, this this patent process on my own. And my examiner and I, I felt like we had letters going on every couple, two to three months for years, you know, me trying to correct. It started with a list of, say, 30 questions. Then I got down to, say, 20, 10, until it was the last couple that of questions that my attorney friend referred me to you because they weren't answerable by just a person who's not a patent attorney. It's it's a specific language and certain, like I Google, what do these terms mean? You know, in the letters and I tried to answer the best that I could. So it is so helpful to have you navigate this process for someone in my own personal experience. Right. Yeah, that's, I've had several clients that have come to me where they filed the applications on their own. And, um, you know, it, it's something that you can look at and say, oh, I think I can do that. But you have to understand the law behind why you're doing right. it to be able right. to write it. And that's something that I've, I've, you know, as a patent attorney, I've spent years um, reading through things and working and learning to, to understand what language to use in the best way to write write the claims. So, um, so, so then what happens next, Benji? So it might be, say, two to three years to for the examiner to get to the application. And then, and then what happens? So you get two basically two bites of the apple. So you get the, an examination of the first claims that you submit. Then you get the opportunity to either um, argue or to make amendments. If you make amendments, that's your second examination for your filing fee. Um, if you can't get it to an agreement with the examiner to get it to issue or to be allowable at that point, then you can actually file a request for continued examination, which is called an RCE. And you get two more bites at the app. And you can keep continuing to do that throughout until you get either you run out of money or you can't come <laughs> to an agreement on what the claims are. Right. So the other option is if you can't come to an agreement with the examiner and you just think that he's wrong and he thinks that you're wrong, you can file an appeal. And the appeal ends up going to the Patent Trial, patent trial and Appeal Board. Um, and they, there's a, a panel, I believe it's three... Um, three judges on the panel and uh, they review the examiner's arguments and your arguments and there's some um, appeal briefs that you file and present all your arguments and then the examiner files an answer and then the um, the applicant gets to file a, uh, a reply brief as well. So then the the PTAB, the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, uh, reviews all that and makes a decision on whether to affirm the examiner's rejections or um, to force the examiner to go back and reopen the case. Okay. And, and that takes a long time as well. That, I, I've had some that have taken um, two to three years at that point for the appeal to be decided. So um, there is a backlog in the system, and they're trying to, to alleviate that, but it, it'll take some time to get to that point. So for our listeners, which you probably are noticing by by hearing Benji speak, this process is a commitment. It is a time commitment, a financial commitment to seeing your idea through to the end. So so then what happens? Once all everything gets everyone's on the same page, the examiner, you, the inventor, then what? So one it's I'm assuming you get to a, a um, an allowance at that point where the examiner says that the claims 
that you have are allowable over the, the art that he has cited, uh, that he can find in his searches. So once it's allowed, then you get a notice allowed, and you have to pay an issue fee. Once you pay the issue fee, um, the patent issues, um, it t- takes another couple of months to get to that point. Yeah. Um, and then it's printed up and mailed out to you. And it's glorious, beautiful folder with the American flag on it <laughs> that I have tucked away in my hurricane evacuation box should I need to evacuate again. <laughs> that glorious file, when it finally comes to you, it feels so good. Yeah. So how did you get into this, Benji? How Can you tell our listeners where you started as, as a younger man in your education and Sure. I, um, actually, my, my uncle is a patent agent in uh, in Los Angeles. Right. And when I'd go out to visit him, we'd go out and visit him in the summers fairly regularly. And he would always show me things, things that he was working on. He'd say, let me show you this invention that we, that we filed a patent on and it does this. It was always really interesting to me to see all these neat things that he was working on. So um, cool. And so, yeah, it was something that I was always interested in. And it was kind of targeted. That's kind of what I targeted my education for. I didn't exactly understand at the time what I needed um, to sit for the patent bar. So we, as a patent attorney, you have to have the, the uh, pass the legal bar. As a, that's on the legal side. On the patent side, you have to pass the patent bar. And there's okay. a patent bar exam that um, you have to sit for, and there's a manual of patent examining procedure that you kind of have to learn. And there's all kind of timings and dates and procedures, and um, it's it's basically the set of patent laws that you have to follow. Uh, So you have to sit for that exam, and to sit for it, you have to have some kind of engineering degree or applied sciences, like a chemistry or physics or biology, um, just to sit for it. So... Uh, I was in school and I started off in engineering, but um, didn't at, one, at that time in my life didn't really like some of those classes that I was sitting in. Okay. Uh, so I switched to business and ended up talking to my uncle and he's like, "So how'd you study going? What are you studying?" I said, "Well, right now I'm in business." And he said, "No, no, no, no! <laughs> you have to get in engineering. Business is not going to work if you want to go into patent law." So then I switched back um, and I asked him which one he he recommended. He recommended electrical engineering. Because okay. it has the, the broadest um, set of, of patent work uh, that to work on. So, um, so you had to go do everything so to become an electrical engineer first. Right. First, well, yes. Yeah. So first you would get your electrical engineering degree or any engineering degree or biology or chemistry or physics, whatever. And then, um, then after that, um, you could actually become a patent agent without going to law school. So you can, if you pass the patent bar um, with just an engineering degree, you can do the, you can be a patent agent. Um, as a, but you can't do any litigation off those, the patent work. And that's another side we haven't even talked about yet. Um, but as a patent attorney, after you, um, after you get your undergrad degree, then you go to law school and get your law degree, and then you can take the patent bar as well. Um, I'm actually, just thinking- at any time after Finish your sentence, and then I'll say, Benji, at any time after. Uh, um, Right. So any time after you get your undergrad degree, you can take the patent bar. You don't have to wait until after you get out of law school to take it. Something, and you are used to having patience, just the process with the multiple degrees, the multiple bars, licenses. 
you know, wow, it's such a commitment to do what you're doing. Yeah. It's always that light at the end of the tunnel thing, way off in the distance. But then once you get to the end of the tunnel, it's a big light there. So. Yeah. And then isn't your uncle 82 and still doing some work now in Los Angeles yes. with Pat? Awesome. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a mentally, it's a mental job, really. So um, as long as he still has his mental capabilities, he can still do the job. Yeah, that's awesome. I bet he's really yeah. proud of you. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to talk to him about different things, too. Definitely. So you mentioned just a few moments ago litigation. Do you want to segue into that? Right. So it's not something that I, practice, I do a lot in my practice. Um, so the, the prosecution, preparation of the prosecution side is obtaining the patent from the patent office. Then the other side, if somebody infringes the patent, that's where the litigation side comes in. And so um, if, if you find that someone is infringing on your patent, you can sue them for patent infringement. Um, so let me ask you a question a about long, that. How, how would you know if someone has infringed upon your patent? What, what are some examples? Um, generally, they'll be producing a product that does the same thing that yours does. Um, that that's a very, can be a very sticky question sometimes if the process is internal to a device. A lot of times, you can't see what a particular, um, like a, a computer chip or a, yeah. a, a, a semiconductor chip that's in a device. It's hard to tell that it's doing what you're doing, but you can see that it has the same outcome that your improvement did. And so you, you, um, you can start the process and then through discovery find out um, what that device is doing in China to see if they're infringing your claims. I mean, there's others that are just outright copies of a mechanical device, and you can tell pretty easily that it's doing what you're doing. Okay. Wow. So you, uh, again, going back to kind of the personal, you were working at a law firm in Atlanta, and then I know you have your own firm now. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Sure. Um so let's see, it's been about eight years ago where I went off on my own um, and started a, a, um, it's a home-based law firm. So we do all the same work that we did in the brick-and-mortar big law firm in the big building. Um, we have the same uh, systems, the, the servers, the docking system, um, the assistants, the phone system, everything as if I'm like a normal system except I work at an office of my home. Um, mm-hmm. It's not... It's not always important to have to sit down with an inventor to see an invention because a lot of it is system-based, and I do a lot of work that's circuit-based. And so all I have to do is send me a a schematic diagram and talk me through the circuit, and I'll understand what it is. So I don't have to meet them face-to-face. So then I don't have the overhead of the the big building and all the equipment and, you know, cater and all that other stuff that the big business has or the big office building has. Um, so I'm able to offer lower lower prices to my clients as well. That's great. When we were talking last night, we were talking about if there were three aspects of an idea that are important, and one that it is patent patentable. Can you say that word for me, please? Patentable. <laughs> patentable. Thank it's you. Not an easy word to say. <laughs> Gosh, it's such a tongue twister. I had no idea until trying to say it right now on the show. That is patentable, marketable. Or both. Can you talk to some of us right. about, to all of us okay, about that? So, 
um, we'll start with patentable, and there's three basic um, uh, properties that an invention has to have to be patentable. It has to have utility, which means usefulness. And most things have some kind of use to them, so that's not a very hard thing to get over. Um, the second is novelty, which is that no one else is doing the exact same thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're coming up with a new idea, generally you can you can find the novelty. And there may be something that you're not aware of, but generally you can get past novelty without too much problem. The third part is non-obviousness, and that's the tough one. Because um, in the examination, the examiner looks at can look at two different pieces of art and combine those together and say it would be obvious for one of ordinary skill in the art to combine this. Mm. Um, and that's the, that's the hardest part. That's the biggest part of my job is it's convincing the examiner that it's not obvious to do so or to find something else, some other aspect of the invention to add into the claims um, that it wouldn't be obvious in light of those two pieces of art. And I just said two pieces. I mean, I've had five pieces of art combined together um, to get the invention that I've described in the claims. So, um, okay. And then the marketable aspect. Okay, so that's patentable. So the marketable aspect is something that will sell that the that the, um, the public wants to buy. So you have patentable. Something that may be patentable may not be marketable, right? Somebody, you know, it may be new and nobody else is doing it, but nobody wants to buy it. The other side is it could be marketable but not patentable. So everybody wants to buy it, but it's too close to something that, that's already, that already out there. Exists. But if you combine the two together, correct. The third one is one that's both patentable and marketable. And those are the ideas that you really want to follow the patent on. Because if it's patentable and not marketable, you're filing, you're spending a lot of money and a lot of time for yeah. something that you're never going to get your money back out of. If right. it's marketable but not patentable, obviously you're not going to want to file a patent on that because it's not patentable. So it'd be a you don't need to. Right. Right. But if it's patentable and marketable, then those are the ones that are important to file a patent on. So once someone has their patent, what, what is it that you've seen happen? What are some next steps then, or the natural trajectory of what is next? Well, I mean, ideally, if, if you have a patent on it, it will, other people who are patent savvy will say, I want to stay away from that because I don't want to get, in, get involved in litigation and infringe their patent. Um, but... If you're a, an individual inventor and you have a patent and a big company wants to do it, it may be uh, fiscally um, ideal for them to actually infringe the patent. And, and um, you know, even though they're, they're going at risk of, of litigation, litigation costs, they may be able to make more profit and may be worth it to them. So, well, it's been know, interesting. They can throw a lot of money in. They can throw a lot of money in litigation with all their lawyers, whereas uh, right. you know, an individual inventor doesn't have the resources. So. Yeah. You know, it's been interesting, and I know I mentioned to you in passing that since I I got my patent, all these things start coming in the mail. And it's obviously our digital age, like all of a sudden these different companies know I have a patent. And I get these mailers on, you know, this company wants to build it and that wants to build it, you know, at my cost. But um, it was just right. interesting to see how I started getting these unsolicited mailings about, you know, other patent-related things. Um and you had mentioned that you help people write grants, which is something I definitely want to talk with you privately because I think that's my next step with my patent. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners about that for someone who 
might be interested? Okay, so um, the government has, and a lot of people don't know about these, they're small business grants um, where there are particular descriptions of things that each of the, um, or most of the government uh, agencies um, support. So there'll be like uh, NASA will have one, um, Department of Energy, Health and Human Resources. There, there are, each of the groups has a, a budget of money that they've allocated to supporting small business um, research. And um, one of them is called an SBIR, and those are the ones that the company gets the, um, the, uh, does the research on its own. And the other one is an STTR, and that is where the company works with a, uh, a university um, to do the research. So there's oh, two cool. different little um, areas to go into. But you know, there, you'll have to search on the, um, there's a, a central grant website. I'm not sure what that is offhand. Um, but you can search for um, grants that are available in particular areas and see if there's one that is directed toward uh, what you're doing. And then oh, you can write an application, follow the, the application guidelines uh, to, to try and get the grant. So you're also available for hire to do this kind of work as well for your clients? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So one of the things I'm you actually, mentioned... Um, so yeah, go ahead. One of my clients um, is in the middle. We've filed, uh, we've filed one application and um, are in the middle of uh, filing another one here at the end of January. Um, the first one we filed was SBIR, and this one is an STTR. Um, but it has to do with um, green energy. Uh, this client um, takes energy out of the air, basically, using graphite fibers. And, is that the um, ion power the group that you've told me about? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm actually the CEO of the company as well. Um, oh, cool. But, yeah. Um, so, uh, we're doing research right now. Um, we've, we've shown proof of concept of it, but we're trying to do research um, and increasing the altitude to see if we can get higher power out of it. And we expect that it is. It's just an expensive undertaking to, to put something, these fibers up to 10,000 feet and, and get the readings off of it. So, uh, that's what we're working towards right now on that. Uh, but so we have, uh, I believe, it's ten patents issued now. Wow! Um, several in the U.S. and then internationally, we have patents issued in China, Japan, Russia, and Canada, and we still have several pending in the European Union as well. This is so exciting! So the Ion Power Group, it's harvesting energy out of the air. Did you say at ten thousand feet? Yes. So right That's now so cool. we we tested at a hundred. Yeah, we tested at one hundred and thirty feet. So the next step is for us to, um, the, the target is to um, put a covered balloon up to 10,000 feet and suspend the fibers off of that balloon. And then the tether is an actual, uh, it's got a cable inside the tether connected down to um, some kind of storage capacity, storage facility down in, at, the, at the ground to collect the energy that's um, received up to 10,000 feet. Oh, that's so cool, Benji. And you're CEO of this company. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, last night in, in preparation and speaking to you about this today on the show, I kind of binge watched Shark Tank. 
and uh, uh-huh. they they had a guy come on, and he was he wanted two million dollars to harvest energy from waves from like a wave park, and he had already invented uh-huh. something that kinetically charges a battery um, as you, as you walk. And uh, he had ten patents that he had there, and none of the five sharks invested, you know, in him because it it seemed like he kind of came with two different ideas, wasn't very clear. But it was so cool this concept of harvesting, you know, from from the waves energy, and um, so it just was interesting to me. He was the most well articulated with kind of one of the most amazing ideas, yet didn't get one of the sharks to invest in his ideas which is a bit disappointing because mm-hmm. it's about clean energy so what mm-hmm. what are y'all doing with the the ion group like how are y'all proceeding in your research and and such well we, we're still trying to show how much energy you can get out of the process and that's kind of where we installed um, we can do it out of you know a couple of fibers but to install a large-scale um, power plant type of uh, facility um, we're still looking for um, funding to do that so um, we're, we're kind of sitting at the doorstep waiting to do that, to take the next step in, uh, in the research, on the research side. So would one of the grants that you mentioned a moment ago possibly apply in, in this process that you're involved in with energy? Yeah, that's what we're hoping. Is, oh, that's yeah, cool. To get the, the grant to be able to, to do this ne- the next stage of testing it. Very cool. So are you able to talk about some of the inventions that you've, Patented or is that confidential? Sure. Yeah, if they're patented, there's no problem. Um, actually, if they're filed and published, there's no problem because they're, right. they're um, publicly available at the time. Um, uh, one of the ones I, I like to talk about is um, a lady that did a, uh, a foot operated door latch and it's designed for public restrooms. Mm. So, you know, when you when you go to use a public restroom, you have to use the door, the handle latch. Yeah, hand, I can't stand it. Yeah. Well, hers yeah. is a foot-operated latch, so it's at the bottom of the door, and you can use your foot to operate so you don't have to touch anything. That's um, cool. Yeah, and so we've got a patent issued in the U.S., and uh, I think we're pending in Australia and a couple other countries as well. Very cool. I would so love to see it. those. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff that I, that I do is internal and circuit-based, and so most people don't even want to. I'm just trying to understand um, the technology <laughs> behind it. Because so. it's so electronic. It, it's interesting. Yeah, I had lunch with a uh, one of the uh, older patent attorneys in Atlanta a couple of years ago. And so one of my questions is similar. It's like, well, what are the neat things that you work on that I've heard of? And he said, yeah. you know, out of all the years that I've worked in patent law, he's about 30-something years, he said the, the, the only thing that I've done that actually you can find out in the industry is that you can personally buy is uh, it was some kind of filter for uh, fuel. It was like a cone filter. And wow. Said, no, that's, that's almost the only thing. So now on the trademark side, he had worked on some uh, the cabbage tail kids or garbage tail kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, was a little, there was a trademark infringement on that. And then a Domino's pizza versus a Domino's sugar. He had a little trademark um, case on that. But he said, you know, 30-something years, those were the only things that, people would actually recognize that he's worked on. So, um, a lot of it is internal um, things that you, that you normally wouldn't see. So. so that reminds me earlier, and I almost forgot, you were going to speak to us about the when you might need a patent versus a copyright versus a trademark. Okay. Can we talk about that? So the, 
Right. So the patent, most of the time in the patent, it works on the functionality. That's the utility patent. It's how it works. There is a design side. There's a design patent, which is how it actually looks. Um, but it's not like, uh, it's not as far as a work of art. It's just the structure of, or the ornamentality of how something looks. So, um, the classic way I like to describe it is, um, <clears throat> the light fixtures. What the light fixture looks like and how it's got a curve to it in a certain place. That's something you can get a design patent for, but you can't get a utility patent for it because there's no right. functionality through that light fixture. Um, on the, so this uh, patent is basically on the functionality, except for that design patent part of it. Um, there's also a plant patent, but that's very rare for uh, most people. It's how you... I've actually never even worked on one. It's, it's just how rare they are. It shows on my, okay. my uh, practice does. Um, the, another side is the trademark, and the trademark um, protects the origination of the goods and services. So um, when you see the arches, you know that that's products from McDonald's. It's it, you know the origination of those that good, so that hamburger that you bought. And then the copyright protects a work of art, uh, whether okay. it's uh, music, writing, books, um, sculpture, any kind of work of art. That's what a copyright does. Um, a copyright you actually have once you. Um, produce it, but to get statutory, to get uh, protection from the act, the federal act, you have to actually file it, which is very simple to do. It's cheap. Um, you go onto the copyright website, and I think it's thirty, thirty-five dollars for a fee. And all you do is fill out a form and submit a copy of your um, of your work. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I have a trademark on, so you helped me with the patent that is for a nonprofit that I founded, a 501c3 called the Yes Foundation. And an artist in Louisiana did a beautiful logo uh, for the Yes Foundation that I trademarked so no one else could use it. And I filed through the Secretary of State, you know, for that for that image to be trademarked. Okay, do you have a state trademark and not a federal trademark? Exactly. Okay. I didn't realize there were two different ones, so that's good to know. I'm going to put this on right. my list. So you're protected, <laughs> right? So you're protected in the state that you filed that in because you filed it with the Secretary of State. To um, to have it federally protected, you have to file it with the, tra- the patent and trademark office. Okay, thank you for that. And to our listeners, do you see how you get the sense of how complex these laws are and how how much there is to them? So I'm glad we're doing this show because I can get with you about that as well. That's right. So what else is important for our listeners to know related to these topics? Um, it's, I, I think the, the, the main thing that I would stress in this, and you can back me up on this, is it's much better to spend the money up front mm-hmm. to have a patent attorney do the work um, with their knowledge and their expertise than to try and do it yourself yes. and then have to come in and fix it later on. Because... You were lucky in in the one that we've done so far, in that we were able to do the fixes to get it um, allowed. Yes, um, I have another client that um, he filed a provisional application, which um, it isn't examined, and it just it just saves your um, filing date. But you have to file a non-provisional application within a year. Well, 
when you file it, and if you file it by mail, you have to file it by first class mail and mm. get the filing receipt so you have proof on when you put it in the mail in the mailbox in the mail system. He didn't do that. He just filed it by regular mail, put it in his wow. mailbox. But it doesn't have proof on it, so he missed that date, and we were unable to go back and get the filing date of the provisional. So his filing date was then when the patent office received that new application. Uh, filing wow. Application. So. Yeah. No, so I, I definitely over a year. I, wow. I definitely back you up with for our listeners to go to someone to go to Benji, for example, and have him streamline this process for you. Because I spent six years navigating it on my own. And I, I learned a lot. But if I had it to do over, it would have been much less stressful to come to you with my idea and have you you know, coach me and, and take these steps in a more streamlined and affordable manner than than doing it on your own. Right. And you'll have a much better chance of getting um, the broadest coverage and, and everything that you should get when you may not realize what you're, what you're doing when you try and do it on your own. Exactly. So I like to ask all of my guests, what is it that they would like to leave, you know, and, and, you know, I'm hearing your uncle was a big influence in a positive way in your life and sounds like an amazing man still, you know, working as a patent attorney in Los Angeles at age 82 and the memories of him showing you cool things when you were young that influenced you to want to do the same work. What, what might you want to leave as a legacy or history or, and such? Um, I just want to be seen as somebody that enjoys life, you know, and that's something that, um, that I do. I, I work to live, not live to work. I yeah. enjoy what I do and I, and I, and when I'm working on it, but, um, you know, I, when, when I finally get am gone from here, I want people to celebrate my life, not be sad that I'm gone. Um, yeah. You know, I guess that's kind of the most important thing to me. And you have, you have a son, right? I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, uh daughter is uh, 28. Right. Okay. Uh, son is 22, and then one that is 15. Are any of your children, by chance, interested in, in following in this regard professionally? Um, they, uh, the middle one may get there eventually. Um, that was he, he kind of sees what I do and what I work with, um, and he he wants to do that, but I don't know if he wants to go through all the work to get there. <laughs> like we talked about it, but it's kind of a long road to, to get to that, uh, to become a patent attorney. Uh, it is. So, yeah. So we'll see. Yeah, you'll definitely see. Well, Benji, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I want to let our listeners know that you can find Attorney Benji Bolzer online at Next, N-E-X-T, I-P, like intellectualpropertylaw.com, nextiplaw.com. And I appreciate you personally that you helped me so much and having a patent, which has been just a dream, come true. Thank you. Sure, Lisa. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We'll talk soon. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That concludes today's show. Join me next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another guest that I bring you on a different topic. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.